Genesis chapter 48. I'd normally give you a background before I get into reading the word, but we're going to read the whole chapter right off the bat here. Genesis chapter 48. Now it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, Indeed, your father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Jacob was told, Look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself and sat up on his bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me, and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. I will make you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, they are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Your offspring whom you beget after them shall be yours. They will be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. But as for me, when I come from Padan, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way when there was but a little distance to go to Ephra. And I buried her there on the way to Ephra, that is, Bethlehem. Then Israel saw Joseph's two sons and said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, Please bring them to me, and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact God has also shown me your offspring. So Joseph brought them from beside his knees, and he bowed down with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all the days of my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. Let my name be named on, upon them in the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now when Joseph saw that his father had laid his right hand on the hand of head of Ephraim, it displeased him, so he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father. For this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. And he also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly the younger brother shall be greater than he, and the descendants shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am dying, 
but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you one portion above your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. We have here Jacob, the patriarch. He's near death. He calls for his son, Joseph, happens to be the governor of Egypt, and Jacob desires to bless his sons. Joseph comes to his father, and he brings his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And Jacob proclaims before all of his sons, for this is a family gathering now, Ephraim and Manasseh, they are mine. In the same manner that Reuben and Simeon are mine. And any additional sons, Joseph, that you may have, they will be yours to bless and to give an inheritance to. But Ephraim and Manasseh, they are mine. Therefore, I will bless them. Now, being a grandparent, I'm all for bypassing children and going straight to grandkids. And therefore, I'm in agreement with what Jacob is doing here. Ephraim and Manasseh, they're mine. Get out of the way, Joseph. <laughs> Today, we do not give the first son's blessing like they did then, a double portion or a portion that's above, like they did in the early Jewish society. But Joseph, or Jacob, rather, <clears throat> Jacob is known for seeking the birthright. You remember Jacob, uh, how he sought the birthright over his brother Esau. Uh, blessings and the birthright were very important to Jacob, and they've been that way his entire life. And even as he dies, it's important for Jacob to bless. He's an old man, and he has blessed a lot of people in his life. He even blessed Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh allowed it. Now he will give Joseph his firstborn, his firstborn of Rachel, that is, not of Leah, but of Rachel. And he will give him a double portion, a double blessing. He will also bless Joseph's two sons, giving them equal status as if they were his own sons. And this is a big deal because later on you will read that the land is divided and Ephraim and Manasseh, they get their uh, portions. And Jacob, he's near death and he will not tolerate any discussion contrary to the way he chooses to bless even the blessings on his grandsons. Out of respect, Joseph allows Jacob to give the greater blessing to Ephraim over Manasseh. Unusual in that society. In verse 12, Joseph, he's governor of Egypt, and he bows down before Jacob, honoring his father, respecting his dad, in what we would say is a fitting way. Now, as we've studied previously, the Egyptians had no respect whatsoever for shepherds. 
But this is Joseph's father, the governor of Egypt, and he shows his father, a shepherd, great respect. You may recall in Joseph's dreams, he saw his mom, his dad, and all his brothers bowing down before him. But now Joseph bows before the shepherd, his dad, his father. Joseph, he's a man of character. He has not allowed his position as governor to interfere with being a courteous and obedient son. And isn't that refreshing? So many people in today's world want you to know what position they hold and the power of that position. But Joseph bows before his father, Jacob. By this time, the children of Joseph, Ephraim, Manasseh, they're probably not little toddlers. They're probably even perhaps in their late teens. Some have said maybe even as old as, you know, their early 20s. Because Joseph, he's been married for 30 years by now. And he's 56 years old at the time of this blessing. And we hear Jacob pronounce his blessing and his prayer upon Joseph. Verses 15 and 16 there. The God before whom my fathers walked, and this is a reference to God the Father, uh, as God himself. And God who has fed me all of my life, and this corresponds with the work of the Holy Spirit in our life and in Joseph's life. And the angel who redeemed me from evil, and this speaks of Jesus our Savior. So we have, whether Jacob realized it or not, he is supernaturally perhaps giving glory to the triune God in his blessing. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are all uh, made mention here. In this blessing, we have the first mention, and that's kind of important when you go through uh, Genesis in particular. We have the first mention of the word redeemed, and it, it is a significant mention. Redeeming is a work of Jesus, our Savior. And in this case, it is the great angel of Jehovah is a reference to Jesus. You remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about all the conditions that uh, Jacob, as a young man, put on God uh, when he was fleeing Canaan. If you will feed me, God, if you will uh, bless me, if you will protect me, if you'll bring me back to this land, then here's the deal, God. I'm going to let you be my God. <laughs> Where do I sign up? <laughs> but God in his great mercy and love. He has met these conditions that Jacob laid out as a young man. God remains faithful even though we are faithless. Jacob, he has put his right hand, the hand of strength, on the younger son, Ephraim. Joseph, like his grandfather Isaac, wants a special blessing 
the double portion to go to the older son, Manasseh. But in God's economy, many times the younger son, for whatever reason, is the favored son. And Jacob knows what he is doing. This is not happen chance. Remember, it was Isaac instead of Ishmael who received the blessing. Jacob, instead of Esau, the younger twin, received the blessing. Joseph, instead of Reuben. And now we have Ephraim instead of Manasseh. In all of these cases, it is the younger receiving the greater blessing over the older. And all this really shows us is that God is not impressed with the order in which you were born into a family. God looks at the heart, and aren't we glad? He looks at the heart, and he judges a man from his heart. Have you ever misjudged somebody by looking at the outward appearance? On a regular basis. <laughs> but we mortals judge by what we see on the outside, but God judges by what he sees on the inward parts. David, the youngest son of Jesse, the greatest king that Israel ever had, was the youngest son. Myself, I have two brothers. I'm in the middle. I'm not the oldest. I'm not the youngest. I am the well-adjusted one. Us middle childs, we're the ones that get through life best, you know. Amen, amen. Moving along. But what a great blessing to have from our Lord and Savior that Jesus is not a respecter of persons. I'm so glad of that. I find it interesting that Jesus refers to himself as a shepherd. Jacob, who is looked down upon and his sons are looked down upon because they are shepherds, and all of his sons are shepherds except for Joseph, who's governor of Egypt, and they take on this role of being disgusting to the Egyptians because they're in Goshen now. But shepherds throughout Scripture are referred to as caring and loving overseers. In John 10, 11, the Gospel of John, Jesus proclaims, I am the good shepherd. So let me get you to turn over to the Gospel of John, chapter 10, and I want to read a few verses for you. John 10, verses 7 through 18. Verse 7, chapter 10. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. 
Verse 11, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. But a hireling, he is who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep. When he sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them, the hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, speaking of future generations, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. The first proclamation by Jesus in this uh, scripture reading is, he says, I am the door of the sheep. Back in those days when the shepherds uh, would take care of their flocks, they would build a stone enclosure, usually a stone fence, to keep their sheep in, to keep them corralled up at night. And there would be a gap, there would be an opening of maybe five or six feet where the shepherd would lay down and sleep at the opening or at the gate. The sheep would stay in the corral. They would never venture out to step over their shepherd uh, who was at the door or the gate. Plus, no predator, no wild beast would dare come in that way because the shepherd was there. Many times, these shepherds would actually share these enclosures. They would share the the, the fenced-in areas, and there would be a combining of flocks there. And you might want to look back at verse 4, but come morning when the shepherd wanted to take his sheep out to graze them and so forth, the shepherd would go out and he would call his sheep to him. And only the sheep of that shepherd would go out because they recognized their shepherd's voice. And they would follow their shepherd. Now, Lori and I have a little farm, and we have a few cows. And I can go out on my back porch, and my cows will start bellowing. They want me to come and feed them. And they have me trained well, because I go out and I feed them. But back to Jesus' reference of him being the door. He is the door. He is the gate. He is the way of a safe place, a safe haven for his sheep. Jesus says in verse 9, enter by me and you will be saved. Now there's a word that our world usually uh, doesn't really understand. You ever have someone say to you, you Christian talk about being saved. Saved from what? Saved from hell, basically, as long as you're asking. <laughs> and our Lord is real plain and simple. Jesus himself 
feels you need to be saved. He talks about being saved. And how salvation, he says, it only comes through me. Herein lies what every person on earth must decide. I don't care who you are. I don't care how you were raised. It doesn't matter what religion you go by. It doesn't matter what denomination you belong to. Jesus openly proclaims that salvation is only through him. And now this rubs a lot of ecumenical people the wrong way. They view this as very narrow. I'm just grateful there is a way of salvation. But when I'm talking to a person that I think is really perhaps a skeptic, and I will ask them, what is your opinion of heaven or eternal life? And ask somebody that, oh, you will get a variety of answers. May, you may want a question about uh, what do you think of being saved? And that term conjures up all kinds of images for a lot of people. And I have a question that is direct and simple. And I simply ask that person that I consider a skeptic and I'm trying to explain something to him. Is Jesus who he said he is? And you wait for them to answer. Don't rush it. Let them answer that. And if Jesus is who he said he is, then salvation belongs only to him. Jesus proclaims this as the only son of God that makes this claim. Back to the crucial question of salvation. And I will say, I will say this, I say, you got to confess that Jesus, Jesus is either a liar or he is who he said he is. And you have to decide. Our Lord Jesus tells us he is the good shepherd and he has given his life for his sheep or you and I. But each and every person that ever lives has to decide, is Jesus who he said he is or is he not? And you can't waver on that. Many people want to put that off. They want to delay that. Well, I'm not sure. No, you can't delay that. Because to try and delay this decision, is Jesus really God? Or trying to rationalize this, is Jesus the only Savior of man? That is a very, very slippery slope. Make sure you choose wisely because your eternity is at stake. Jesus has openly said, you're either for me or you're against me. That kind of takes away that middle ground, doesn't it? <laughs> Salvation, it comes to a person and it can come in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. The moment, the very second you decide that you need a Savior, 
and that that Savior is none other than Jesus, salvation comes. That's all you have to do is believe. And we clutter that up sometimes with a lot of different things. But each and every person, they have to understand that they have sinned against God and they need the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus suffered on the cross. We know this. And he suffered for our sins. And when we realize that truth, when we really believe that, and by faith we accept the work of Jesus on the cross, we become one of his sheep. We become a believer in a moment. We have the good shepherd giving us the greatest blessing imaginable, and that is eternal life. Jacob, a shepherd, he's giving blessings to his sons. But we have Jesus who gives us eternal life. But to have eternal life, you must receive it. God will not force himself on you. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to have you stand first, so everybody up. <laughs> and I want to lead you in what I call a sinner's prayer. Saved or unsaved, I want you to repeat after me. So you might encourage the person next to you to repeat this prayer. But we're going to pray the sinner's prayer together, okay? So, and all you have to do is be sincere and you will become a Christian. It's that simple. Okay? Here we go. Jesus, I believe you, what you said and who you are. You are the Son of God, the only way of salvation. I confess my sins and ask you to forgive me. I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Now I give my life over to you. Use me for your purposes and your kingdom. And I thank you, God, for hearing my prayer. Amen. If you prayed this and you meant this, your life has changed. Amen. Amen. So I welcome you to the family of God. It's that simple. All right. While I got you standing, let me bless you. Jacob blessed everybody. I can. Uh, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.